Welcome to Healthy Discourse. I'm really excited to talk about today's topic, which is quite different than usual, digging into biblical meekness, power under control. You might not know, but Wiggy and I have a ministry called Cross Training Couture, which offers faith and fitness apparel, mostly for women, but sometimes we do a men's or kids tee too. I'd love for you to check it out at CrossTrainingCouture.com. You can find the link in the show notes. Hey, everybody. It's Emily here. I hope you're having a great day. Um, Welcome to Healthy Discourse. Today is going to be a little bit different. I was recently asked to write a blog post called Love Your Haters for my friend Algernon Cash. He was a guest on our show a couple of episodes ago talking about the service industry, and he challenged me to share with his audience what it means to love your haters. And that's a little bit of a different um, kind of, that's a little bit of a different phrase than what I would normally use for this kind of thing. But it's important nonetheless. And he really, you know, encouraged me to write this for him. And it allowed me to dig really deep into what does that mean? And what is my response? And so today I'm going to read you this blog post, but I'm also going to interject a fair bit along the way because I think it's something important because not everybody is going to like us. And in the world of cancel culture, where that is the default, when there is any kind of disagreement, when we are choosing to share love and encourage and seek out healthy discourse and want to have conversations and want to really understand people and also seek to be understood, it's going to mean that we are not liked all the time. And that doesn't mean necessarily that everybody's going to hate us either, but it also will mean that you are going to, if we are going to take a stand for anything, then there are going to be people who don't like us and likely are going to try to cancel us in some area of life. So most of us have been ghosted by a friend where over some silly issue or disagreement, they just kind of fall off the face of the earth and stop talking to you. Um, That's kind of the way that culture deals with things. So we can be canceled in lots of different ways and or hated in lots of different ways. And so I'm just going to talk a little bit about my perspective on that today as I expressed in my article for Algernon. And I'm going to start with the word meekness. So about a year ago, um, during a sermon and uh, or Bible study, I'm actually not sure which one, we were studying um, the Sermon on the Mount and and the word meekness. And what I learned is that it isn't necessarily from a biblical standpoint, the definition that we often think of, which is another definition of weakness or someone who won't stand up for themselves or um, just kind of going along with what everybody says or kind of like mousy, that kind of thing, which to me, that's like the epitome of the opposite of what I feel like we should be. So it's one of those Bible words that I've never really liked. And I'm like, oh, I don't really understand that because Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 5 with blessed are the meek. Like that's the first thing he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That is Matthew 5, 5, which is the beginning of this very powerful message of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's like, 
Why did he start with that, right? What the weakness? We should know that we are weak because we only find our strength in Christ, number one. But it's it's a meekness in the in the worldly definition just seems like it's kind of a that doesn't fit there. But when I looked into and learned about what is the biblical meaning of this, how is this better translated? That is power under control. And I love this phrase so much in understanding what this actually means that we made a cross training couture tank top out of it because it's like that. It was that mind blowing to me. Biblical meekness is better defined as power under control. So in other words, it's a type of humility that is especially derived from self-discipline. And that's not something that is celebrated in our culture, but it should be, right? So this biblical meekness that, you know, Jesus says in his sermon, these are the folks that are going to inherit the earth. I mean, and that's, of course, from an eternal perspective, are using power under control. So a self-discipline in you know, the, the, the power that we have, however you want to define that, um, that we are keeping that under control. And that also, that means how we exert it with others as well. Okay. So I go on to talk in my article to say I grew up in the eighties and nineties. So of course I was a kid when you have a much different perspective as a kid than as an adult, I think we can all agree on that. But for the most part, it was okay to disagree. So I distinctly remember being at big family buckwheat cake breakfast brunches where my big extended family that's on all sides of the political and spectrum, maybe even a little bit on religion, current events, I'm most certain. And they would have sometimes, yes, heated discussions, but they would lead there as friends and as family and that the things that pull us together that bring us together are stronger than the things that pull us apart and learning from each other and that kind of thing. I remember so many circumstances where I would kind of perk up because I'm like, well, wow, they're kind of really discussing this, but they weren't canceling each other. They were seeking to understand and those things that we were talking about. And so at that time, Cancel culture would have seemed absolutely ridiculous that you would you would lose a friendship over a difference in opinion. And of course, that happened rarely, but it was kind of looked down upon versus, well, yeah, that's the right thing to do. You need to just cancel them. So um, I remember very distinctly, um, my mom would always say in any disagreement or anything that I needed a change in perspective in, my mom would always tell me to put myself in the other person's shoes. So maybe you've heard that as a kid too. And I'm like, are we doing that as adults anymore? Are we putting ourselves in the other person's shoes? Are we considering their perspective, their life circumstances, the things that have brought them to the point where they are? I can 100% disagree with you on whatever the topic is, but that, but, but can I at least seek to understand where you're coming from and why you might feel the way that you do, or why you're even doing the things with your life that you are? Is it possible for me to seek and understand how we got to where we are? So prior to the the age of social media, we were talking in real life. So you were either sitting in person, the written word, letters, that was the thing. I remember writing letters and having pen pals when I was a kid. So I'm about to turn 39 in a couple of weeks, and that was a real thing. 
And then, of course, we were talking on the phone all the time. And those were our only options. There were there was no such thing as text messaging or social media at that point. So there were no strangers just, you know, pounding out comments behind a screen. There, right now, you know, the digital world really limits our opportunity for healthy discourse because we, you know, social media especially is, is created for us to consume. And so we just consume all the things and it might elicit emotions out of us. And so we consume it and then we just kind of word vomit as a response to that, right? So, you know, we, that's generally what we do. We, and we are doing this most often with people we've never even met in person, I would argue. Like that's where we get the most evil and ugly. And what happens is our desire to be right tramples right over the other person's shoes like we talked about a few minutes ago. So we don't care about that at all, especially with our very limited perspective with internet strangers. And I would say, call me old school, but I'm not a big conversation on the screen kind of person. Um, In my opinion, text messaging and social media is best used for quick messages like, hey, I'm running late or hey, does this time work for you for you know, social media does have a place for uh, for business. I think that that's important. We we use social media significantly to help um, find and serve our customers, and we try to do that in a very neutral way as much as we can, um, depending on the subject matter, of course. But it's not a place where we try to elicit big reactions. That's not what we're trying to do. And I I post pictures of my kids. I like to have those memories. All of my family lives far away. Um, So do a lot of my friends. I don't get to see people as often. So it's fun. and, And they love when I post pictures of my kids. So does that mean that opinions don't matter? Uh, Not at all. But if my opinion, if I'm going to share or spew my opinion on social media for a reaction, then when that happens, why am I offended? If I'm posting or commenting for a reaction, when that happens, why am I so upset? If I feel entitled to my opinion, then I need to be ready for other people to be entitled to theirs. That's the opposite of mine, right? So something that's really important to us in our home is that we teach our kids that people can and will attack your actions, your words, your decisions, your beliefs. The way that you run your business, I mean, we have, uh, between Wiggy and I, we have certainly been the victim, I guess you would say, of personal attacks for lots of different reasons. But what we try to teach our boys is that when your reputation, your larger scale reputation, I'm not saying what one person or two people or 20 people are going to say about you, but when your overall reputation is built upon solid, godly character, attacks against you will not stand. So when you are living and growing in the fruits of the Spirit, which in case you don't know what those are, that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what's interesting is in Scripture, that is called the fruit of the Spirit. So it's only one fruit. But it's comprised of all of these things. When you are growing and exhibiting and loving and treating people with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when your life exudes 
this fruit. Then your perspective, my perspective can shift from victim to victor, regardless of what everybody else is going to say about me. This doesn't come from a position of pride, but this is actually that meekness we talked about earlier in practice. Because when my when my power is under control, I can grow in this fruit and I am growing closer to I am I'm growing closer to God in that. And the closer I grow to him, the less that these things that are unimportant matter. Now, does that mean everyone's gonna like us? Absolutely not. Does that mean that when we're growing in the fruit? That we don't ever mess up and sin? Absolutely not. We do that every day, especially in our thoughts and our words, right? (laughs) But with grace and humility, we will exhibit grace and humility when we are growing in this fruit. And so if a relationship matters to us and we mess up, which we inevitably will do, or if that person is just upset over an opinion that's different than theirs on any number of subjects, then it's important that we seek to do the hard work to preserve that relationship and pursue reconciliation. That doesn't mean that we're going to agree on every last thing again, but it does mean that the relationship is important enough to us that we are willing to take responsibility for our part and to seek restoring and or preserving that relationship. And we also need to always be asking ourselves with these opinions or with whatever the thing is, what if I'm wrong? Because that will help us to shape our perspective and shape our actions in a way that takes us out of that position of pride and it forces humility to say, well, what if I'm wrong? And what part did I play in this? Or what part could I play if I do this this way? So making room for real conversations and seeking to listen and understand will only help us in in seeking relationships and community with others. And we will miss out so much if our only mission is to be right. Okay, so that's with people that were, are important to us. And we are, these are real, real relationships, okay? So more often, the attacks come from strangers, arguably, maybe not. We all live in, we all have different circumstances. But we, we really can't control the actions and words of others who don't even know us. But we can make sure that we're not inviting unnecessary conflict, especially on our screens. Choosing our words carefully, restraining from spewing every opinion, can really do wonders in preserving our integrity. So when we exchange our entitlement to our opinion... For gentleness and self-control, two of those aspects of that fruit we talked about a minute ago, that can often result in an unexpected openness. Not always, but it can. That might result in a healthy conversation. So basically, when I handle myself with gentleness and self-control, I am inviting others to do that as well. We do have the ability to often lower the temperature, no matter what the subject matter is, by the way we respond. So that said, we must still surrender the results because we cannot, again, control other people. And we need to focus only on doing the right hard thing. 
Okay, so here's a tool that you can use. This can be before you talk to somebody, before you respond, before you comment. This can go for in-person conversation or on your screens. So it's called THINK. It's a THINK acronym. Before you speak, before you post. Is it true? T, is it true? So your favorite news article, news source might not count on this one, okay? So is it true? Is it helpful? Are my words going to help solve a problem or are they going to cre and create clarity for someone else or is it not helpful? I, is it inspiring? Am I building up or am I tearing down? We ask our kids that all the day long every day. <laughs> N, is it necessary? Am I actually sharing what's needed to help further healthy conversation and speak truth? Sometimes this one can be hard. Sometimes we need to share on um, hard things, right? But is it necessary? K, is it kind? The way I say it matters. Am I sounding kind? Am I going to immediately putting this person on the defensive by saying this the way I'm saying it? Okay, so true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind. Ask yourself that. We need to be truth seekers. There is only one truth. We are not created to define our own truth and to say, well, that's your truth, but my truth is this. When we are standing firm on Jesus the rock and we are seeking him, we will find the truth. There is only one. By definition, there can only be one truth. And so in a world where it's become normalized to define truth on our own terms, we can do it better. We can commit to seeking facts, not opinions. News stories are not facts often anymore. Check your sources. Check the sources of the article. It's really important. So we can commit to seeking facts and truth, not feelings, not something to support our narrative, not what we want to be true, not what feels good, not what maybe even makes sense to us, but actual truth. And when we become less focused on our emotional response and filter each challenge that we go through, and there will be plenty in this life, through God's infallible word, that is the truth. We are not going to need the world's approval and we don't even need their response. So all those things that we want to post for a response or we want to, somebody to identify with us and we want to bellyache or we want to complain or we want um, someone to commiserate, whatever that is, we, we don't need that. When we are standing firm on God's word, do we need community? Yes, we absolutely need each other, but we don't need typed out responses or validation or to gang up on somebody else. We don't need that. When we stand firm on God's infallible word, his truth, we do not need that. Okay, so I hope you're not hearing me saying that you need to sit down and be quiet because that's not it. There are plenty of, of problems and issues in this world that need 
strong, godly voices. And our culture is lacking wisdom and discernment in a big way because too few critical thinkers are sharing their voices out of fear. We are afraid of cancellation. We are afraid of ruffling feathers. We are afraid of lots of things. And rightfully so, because cancel culture is real. And when people don't like you, that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to want to cancel you and your business and your kids and everything else. But there are lots of things worth taking a stand, especially right in this moment. Does that mean you need to post it all on social media? No, but you can take a stand by loving and supporting people and organizations that are doing the right thing the right way, the hard thing the right way. You can volunteer. You can put your money where your mouth is. You can put your free time where your mouth is. You can do the things, okay? And there are important things that are worth taking a respectful stand. So sometimes it's really important for us to speak up. Truth spoken in love with humble boldness is imperative to fight for what matters. I'm going to say that again. Truth spoken in love with humble boldness is imperative to fight for what matters. So this is not thoughts or feelings or our own truth or our opinions. Where do we say truth comes from? It only comes from God's word. And so if what I'm thinking, feeling, wanting, you know, uh, if it's not in line with that, and I might need my biblical community to help me to figure that out too. But if it's truth, then it's important to stand for what matters. And in that case, if cancellation is the result of speaking or living the right hard thing, then fine, so be it. In the end, truth always wins. And eternity is a dang long time. <laughs> and that and and you and doing the right hard thing in a godly way will bring you a reward of peace, of comfort, of understanding that there is reward and surrender over control and, and earthly accolades. God will reward, and I'm not saying that means you're going to get a a million dollars and a new job, but he will reward our faithfulness to his truth. He will reward it in this lifetime by the ability to live at peace amongst the turmoil and abiding in him. He will, he is faithful. And then we will, we will, we will rest in that. He will provide rest in that as well as the, the, the eternal rewards from the fruit. Does that mean that our works matter for salvation? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But there is great reward for our faithfulness. And his faithfulness is the big reward, right? Truth always wins. And I want to go back as we finish to the very beginning, as we kind of as we kind of digest all of this, to remember that biblical meekness, power, is best used for good, 
when under control. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts on it, okay? I would love to hear from you always. Send us a message. You can comment. You can um, send me a social media message. You can actually leave a little recording on our podcast, which is fun. But I'm so grateful for our audience. I'm grateful for the um, for the just the support that you guys have given us thus far, telling us to keep going. That's important because this can be hard. You know, this is hard stuff. And it, it's, it's hard to live against the grain. And I know that our listeners are doing that too. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing those hard things. Thank you so much. And I'll catch up with you next time. Mm-hmm.